Welcome to episode 100 of Service Theory. Service Theory is here to shine the spotlight on one of the biggest missing pieces in our current culture that prevents people from living a fulfilled life. That's having service to others. Our goal here at Service Theory is not just to inspire you, but to move you into action. My name's Renee, and if you're ready for radical change, tune in. You won't want to miss this. In my search for a nonprofit out there in our community who was moving and shaking and making immense changes in their community, so many signs pointed to Crystal Lindsay. I had met with multiple people in my network and her name continued to get brought up in conversation. So I had to meet her, got the opportunity to have lunch with her at the university club. And quickly after our lunch, I realized that I just had lunch with a miracle. Um, Crystal has overcame severe odds of abuse and neglect and household dysfunction. She has then started a nonprofit. She's writing a book. Uh, She's just doing it all and doing it all unapologetically. And she's also here to give us some insight on the impact that she's making in our world. So Miss Crystal, good morning. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. How are you doing? Oh, good morning. I'm pumped to be here. Thank you so much. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, let's just jump right into this. At lunch, you explained a little bit about your background and just where you came from, what's been going on the last 30 some odd years. So just for context, let's get everybody caught up to speed with um, what's brought you to this point with your nonprofit. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, my journey really started uh, with the fact that I was born to a mother who didn't love me. Uh, This is something that's not supposed to happen, right? We are predisposed to love our offspring, but somehow by being the youngest of three girls born into welfare, um, I, I experienced severe abuse and neglect from my mother. And she told me daily that she wishes she had aborted me. This was paired with a severe abuse and trauma and culminated into when my mother tried to kill me at 11 with an ice pick handle and I had to run away and go into foster care. Uh, And then my mother took everything I owned. She took my bike, my books, my toys, everything. Um, And I've only seen her one other time in my entire life. So that really put me in a position where I had to figure out how to not only survive, but thrive. Uh, The story goes deeper where I'm actually disowned by my family. I don't know my father's name. My sisters have ran away. So I literally had nothing to know one at 11. And this is so sadly true for so many young people who are pushed into the foster care system. And so going full circle now, I've been able to launch a nonprofit that changes the way foster youth learn. And so right now, uh, when I emancipated from the foster care system, there were not uh, tools and courses and, and programs for me. I had to figure it out the hard way and create that system so I could thrive. Now there's actual courses on how to budget or how to you know go to grocery shopping, but nobody's teaching these young people how to have strength-based training, figure out what makes them unique and give them the actual capabilities to self-soothe through self-care so they can show up fully in this moment and the next moment. Nobody's giving them the daily rituals to cultivate gratitude or mindfulness so that they could reach their goals. So that's really what my nonprofit does is we actually change the way foster youth 
learn. And so we have a really interesting way of doing that, but that's the premise, right? We want to help people figure out what makes them unique, have daily practices, and help them cultivate the grit that it takes to get there. And that's what I'm doing uh, with the nonprofit as well as with my upcoming book, Grit and Gratitude. Wonderful. So this all just ties in together so well, like you said, with your nonprofit, The Fostered, that's carrying over into the new book that you're writing, Grit and Gratitude. So I definitely want to dive more into your nonprofit, again, The the Fostered. Uh, But before we get there, let's learn more about you. One of the most shocking things that you told me about was your ACE score. So can you tell our audience a little bit about your ACE score and and what it is and, and what it means? Yeah, absolutely. So ACE score is actually a test that you can take and it actually determines uh, the level of trauma you've experienced as a child. And now they have significant studies that show that this translates into whether or not uh, you will live a full life or whether you will experience um, different types of mental illness and physical illness, uh, such as heart disease or, or autoimmune disorders. So again, the concept is if you've had one out of 10 of the questions they ask you on trauma, if you've experienced a severe abuse, neglect, uh, abandonment, or if your parents were divorced, or if you, one of your parents was an alcoholic or mentally ill, these are considered an ACE score. It's an adverse childhood experience. And so ideally you have an ACE score of zero, but if you have even an ACE score of one, this shows that you are more likely to experience health social and emotional problems. It means that you're more likely to commit suicide. It means that you're more likely to have a chronic disease. It means that you're more likely to become violent or become a victim of abuse. And so this is that circle of poverty that's holding people down. And what happens is when you take the score, it gives you some insight into how much attention you need to put on your self-care. So the bad news is your A score, if it's higher than zero, you have a lower life expectancy and you have a higher risk of, of mental and physical illness. However, if you do what I'm proposing in my book in Grit and Gratitude and do daily practices that cultivate gratitude and self-soothing your own body as you wash your brain and use these biohacks, you can actually lower the chances of you increasing or of your risk of getting lung disease or, or being or committing suicide or all of these, these negative associations. So when I introduced, when I was introduced to the test, I actually was shocked to realize I have a level 10. So very few people are going to have a level 10 where they've actually answered yes to every single one of the questions. And obviously, as I, based on what I just shared, this puts me at the highest level of risk to, for suicide and violence and abuse and, and all of this. So I've had to create a system to break out of that and set myself up for success. And now I'm helping others be able to do that. Wow, that is incredible. So a 10 out of 10. Now, I did some research myself on that, and I found that about 87% of people rank anywhere from around a one Mm -hmm. to a three on that scale. I took the test myself, and I came up Mm -hmm. as a two. So I can only imagine you being a 10 out of 10. How common do you think that is for the fostered youth out there to to be ranked so high? Very common, honestly. Um, you know, these, these questions as they, they pose is, 
You know, did somebody, you know, insult you or swear at you, humiliate you in a way where you physically hurt, right? These, that's the premise of why you go into foster care. You know, when they, they say, were you ever hungry or, or pushed or slapped or thrown something at you? Yeah, that's, that's the reality of, of people who have short tempers and you're in an abusive situation. So these are, you know, very real issues. And I would say most youth who are in foster care um, probably have a score of at least six, I would say would be the low score. Um, and I would say just based on my experience in working with foster youth, probably 75% or more have above an eight. My goodness. Wow. That was one of the biggest just shockers that you had explained to me. And so with your nonprofit, The Fostered, tell me a little bit more about, you know, how you work with these kids. You, you mentioned a lot about hacking into your brain, washing your brain, these biohacks that not only they can implement, but we can as well. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. For us? So um, first of all, one of the key premises of The Fostered is that we it's for and by foster youth. Right. So as executive director, I am former foster youth myself, but I know what it means to be in a revolving door of strangers. I know what it means to be angry and irritable, screaming inside, feeling like your life is some type of cruel joke and then expected to just be pushed out at 18 and be able to survive on your own. Right. The reality is that about 68 percent of young people leaving the foster care system are either going to be one of two things based on if they're male or female. 68% of female are going to have their own child before they leave the system at 18 and become dependent upon the welfare system. And about high 60s, about 66 to 68% of men will be uh, put in the criminal justice system. So that's another form of criminal justice, or excuse me, of a social system. So being a former foster youth, I'm very passionate about that. I know that young people are capable of greatness and that they're simply trapped in a system. So it's that empathy that really makes us different. That's the starting point. We also have a youth advisory board where young people who are just exiting foster care sit on advisory board and review our trainings and make sure that we are giving maximum impact. So being for and by foster youth is a core value in how we accomplish our goals. The second thing we do is we focus on what I call self-sufficiency training. Now, this is kind of a sexy term, you know, thrown around the the foster care community, Um, but we're not just focused on getting people to complete high school. We want to also get them these cutting edge trainings that have been approved by our youth advisory board. So this goes into fitness and self-care, personal development, anger management, mindfulness. So again, daily practices that help them battle those inner demons, that inner residual effect of abuse. And then the other thing we're doing is we're working with existing nonprofits. So a big part when I came in this foster, came into the foster, the main thing was I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. Right. So I, I know there are people out there who are already serving current and former foster youth. And so what we're doing is we're partnering with them to promote their toy drives, their food drives, their, you know, all of these things. So every time I do a public speaking event, I go ahead and promote an existing nonprofit at the end and support them on social. So we kind of have our pet charity, so to speak. And the purpose of all of this is not just to help the young people get an immediate tool that they can use in their life while that's important. The big picture here is we're creating a movement, 
right? I'm giving biohacks that are going to give these young people the ability to step out and shine brightly. I'm going to teach administrators and resource parents on how to connect with foster youth on a level that they've never been able to before because it's all based on strengths and how to tap into what that young person actually cares about and build that successful future. So again, this is really about being for and by foster youth, creating self-sufficiency training that's based on their strengths, supporting existing nonprofits, and really creating a movement for, for former foster youth. Wow, I love that term, creating yeah. a movement, because it's so much bigger than just a conversation, bigger than uh, one simple biohack. It is an entire movement. So I'm curious to hear how this is how this has moved yeah. you personally, Crystal, because again, you have a phenomenal story, one that I mean, it's, it's second to none. So how would you say being in this state of service has impacted mm -hmm. your career or your relationships or, or just your, your personal life and your spiritual development? Um, how has this state of service impacted yeah, absolutely. you? Absolutely. And I think to answer that question, I, I need to back it up to about a year ago. It's been about uh, a year and a half almost. I almost died. And I was in a near-death experience where I had eight blood transfusions, five days in the hospital, and had to learn to walk again. And when I came out of that, two things were on my heart. One, I had created my own prison with my, my business. It was like seven days a week, 80 to 100 hours. It was incredible. But even more pressing was the fact that my song was unsung, that I had been able to, quote unquote, do it and, and arrive, whatever that means, for success. And I had not given back. I hadn't launched my nonprofit that I'd been dreaming of and created the business plan for 10 years ago. So really, my greatest grief when I came out of that was that I hadn't been able to give back. And that was something that words can't express the level of grief I had over that. And so I really feel I have a second chance on life. So this has given me a chance to wake up with more excitement. It puts me in a state of flow every day when I work on this and I'm making contacts and moving forward. It allows me to collaborate with my husband who co-founded the nonprofit with me and we deepen our relationship. I fall in love with him more every day when I watch him talk about how committed he is to helping change the way foster youth learn. And we're talking about becoming foster parents in 2020. So again, it's, it's deepened my relationship. It's shifted my entire career to serving. Whereas before I, I have a, a social media firm and I would, you know, really focus hundred hours a week on social media. Now it's really focused so that my time is more split. And I would say at least 50, 50, but probably 60, 40 leaning towards the fostered. So I'm spending more time where I'm actually serving in my community, connecting with people, giving tips, giving insights, sharing my story, rather than just trying to make a buck, right, and build a business. So again, it's really shifted my entire focus and put me in a state of flow and made me jump out of bed in the morning. Wow. That is so incredible that it's poured in and, and had this ripple effect in every area of your life. And you know, one of the things that you had mentioned to me, it's a really cool exercise that you do where you write letters to yourself. And so I feel that our audience would absolutely uh, get a ton of value out of this. So can you tell me a little bit more about um, just the advice that you started giving yourself and the letters that you've been writing to yourself? Absolutely. Um, let me kind of just give some context to that too. So 
I actually um, had was working with a coach and she shared with me that um, my mother was the ringleader of all of my problems, which it was not, we were not talking about my mother, but she kept coming <laughs> up apparently. So you have to listen when your coach tells you this. And so she said to me that our minds are like a library. And what happens is when trauma happens, these books fall to the ground and they get stuck on a certain page. And then when you walk through, you trip on the same page again and again, you get triggered. Little things will trigger that same sense of grief or depression or overwhelmment or anger, abandonment that you felt in that original trauma. So for me, my trauma was when my mother left and took everything, right? That was, that was the big part. And originally I thought my mother left because I wasn't good enough. But really, my mother left because she was facing her own issues, right? She was, you know, in a situation where she had to, you know, leave on her account, break her lease, do all these things, be really scared because she had to live small in this world because she knew what she had been doing was wrong. Now, that's a very different reason than, than uh, I, she left because I wasn't good enough. I got that, that empathy, that true forgiveness for my mother in an exercise I did where I wrote a letter to my mother after visualizing what it was like for her at that traumatic experience. And in that moment, I didn't just forgive my mother, I wholly forgave my mother. So that combined with this, this experience of really honoring our younger self, honoring these traumas we've been through so we can close those books, led me up to kicking off a 40 days of Dear Little Crystal. Now, 40 days of Dear Little Crystal is where I'm writing letters to my younger self at pivotal points in my life because I believe that trauma unlocks superpowers. So I want to cultivate grit and gratitude now so I can, again, make the biggest impact for the fostered so I can, you know, help as many people as possible so I can change the lives of millions. But first, I need to honor my younger self who went through the hard work to get me where I am today. Oprah Winfrey said it best. She said, turn your wounds into wisdom, right? So as I write these letters, I'm getting wisdom for myself. This is, this is ironic, actually. If you go through this exercise, think back to really a deep challenge or trauma you went through in your life where it really hurt and it really changed your life. Then write a letter to your younger self going through that and tell them everything they need to know to be successful. A couple of things will happen here. One, you're going to realize that advice that you gave your younger self is exactly what you need to hear right now. That is like priceless. Second, you go back and you heal that younger wound. You realize how it's made you stronger for where you are today. And you're able to close that chapter and collect your superpower. Again, I believe that challenges create strength. So if you can honor that challenge and how it made you stronger, now you get to unlock the strength and be able to move forward. And then lastly, what it does is it allows you to really connect with a deeper part of yourself, to be in the present. See, in order to be in flow, to find happiness, to be more efficient, to have better work satisfaction, you need to find flow. And most people are spending over 70% of their, their time focusing on future or past memories that come from worry and stress and trauma. So if you can figure out how to honor that part of you, you no longer have to play those scripts in your head. And now you can be in flow. So it allows you to heal that wound. It allows you to be able to be in flow and it allows you to tap into your superpower. So this has been such an incredible journey. Uh, today's day 20 of 40. So I will continue to go, but this has been really, really a beautiful exercise. I encourage you to give it a try as well.
Absolutely. I'm going to have to check in with you in another 20 yes. days to, to get updates from you. And just to, to bring up a visual that really struck a chord with me when you described at our lunch that you feel that your challenges have been essentially a breeding yeah. ground for your biggest strengths right now. And you explain it, it's kind of like a pendulum yeah. swinging. Can you explain that to our audience of, you know, the, the higher the hardship on one side, maybe the, the higher the joy on the other? Absolutely. I, I really, again, and on um, my core value has always been that I believe that you can unlock your superpowers created by childhood trauma. Now, most people think that people have been traumatized or somehow, you know, at a disadvantaged, right? You hear that term disadvantaged youth, right? And they try to say at risk youth. So it's more politically correct, but we know what they mean, right? They mean that if you've been through something hard, you're going to have a harder chance of being successful. And I break that off in Jesus name. What I bring to the table is a deep, deep belief that if you've been through something, something hard, something traumatic, that in that experience, you, your pendulum swung deeper to the left. It allowed you to feel emotions on a deeper level. It allowed you to hurt, to grieve, to breathe, and to really feel the depth of life. And similarly, now moving forward, once you move through that, your pendulum swings fully to the right. So as deep as you felt that grief and that trauma and that fear that comes from, from trauma, you now can unlock the deepness of joy and bliss and beauty and energy and that fulfilling life because you've been able to experience the fullness of life. And I don't believe that you can experience pure bliss and enlightenment and start blessing people as you walk, as I often do, if you don't go through that dark, dark time. See, it's that darkness that we find ourselves. And again, that's that, that quote I love so much from Oprah Winfrey, that we need to turn our wounds into wisdom. And what I believe by that is once you honor it, now your pendulum can swing fully to the right. And that wisdom is what gives you a fulfilling life. That is so beautiful. If, if anybody's listening to this and wants to take one thing away, that needs to be it. <laughs> um, so Crystal, what advice would you give to somebody who says, you know, I'm ready to experience the right side of that pendulum. I, I want to experience the joy and the bliss and this euphoric life. Um, but I'm too, too traumatized or I'm too scared or too fearful mm -hmm. to swing to the left and dig deep into things that have happened. What advice would you give them? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is a really good point. So first of all, what I usually hear is um, if I, if somebody asks me, what can I do? My, my short answer to them is cultivate gratitude. <laughs> That'll solve all your problems, right? But it's not sexy. People don't believe that. They don't feel that because they don't have gratitude in their life. And so what I would say to them is if you're not able to just jump in and start cultivating gratitude for at least 10 minutes a day, I mean, where you focus in and you write lists and you visualize and you walk and you breathe and you feel so full of gratitude that you can walk and see and breathe and have shoes and, and be alive. If you can't get to that state, then you need to create um, daily practices where you can self-soothe through self-care, right? And that is where you do breath work or you use physical exercise like push-ups or wall sits, or you cultivate journaling or do meditation. And then somebody usually would say to me, well, I don't have time, right? Nobody has time. Trust me, nobody has time. But the answer to that is you just need to wake up earlier. And if you wake up even 30 minutes earlier, to read and research what you're passionate about in this world, just 30 minutes, you will double your income every single year. 
per Brian Tracy and everybody else, right? So this is a, an actual <laughs> fact that not my opinion, you will double your income every year by just researching for 30 minutes a day what you're passionate about and then celebrate that feel grateful that you did what you said you were going to do that you woke up and you took action that you're allowed to be uh focused that you can focus on yourself that you're breathing that you're living that you're expanding that will cultivate the joy so step one is just cultivate gratitude if you can do that that'll solve all your problems and i've got some other tricks and stuff up my sleeve to help you really cultivate and take it to the next level but step one is cultivate gratitude Step two is self-soothe through self-care, which means if you find yourself anxious and stressed, there are studies that show you have exactly one hour from a stressful event that's a difficult conversation or something that scared you to drop down and give me 20. Okay, now for me, it's push-ups. Maybe yours is something else. But seriously, you have exactly one hour to do something physical to literally wash the cortisol chemicals out of your brain, which is a stress hormone, and allow you to get access to your prefrontal cortex, which is your higher level of decision, okay? It also cultivates gratitude. So again, if you're not able to cultivate gratitude, then you need to get your head on straight. And when you feel anxious, drop down and give me 20 or five or whatever it is, right? But that would be the step. <laughs> and then lastly from there is, is really being able to take the time to wake up early uh, and then research what you're passionate about. So then you can close that loop and be able to cultivate gratitude through that process. Wow. That is very, very powerful. So how many push-ups are you doing right now? You know, I do at least 50 a day, honestly. My, <laughs> my husband was working on my form. He said I wasn't going down far enough. So now I go down all the way. My chin <laughs> almost touches the ground and I come back up. There you go. Awesome. So by the end of this 40-day Dear Little Crystal uh, exercise that you're doing, I'm sure you'll be well up into the hundreds, the, the three-figure mark there. Oh, yeah. With, with so, guns to prove cool. it. Yeah. Perfect timing for the summer. Yes. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious, just kind of bringing it back to your nonprofit here, the, the fostered, what initially sparked this idea? I mean, of course, you know, you, your story is, is a catalyst for the, the nonprofit, but did you always know that this was something that you'd eventually want to get around to, or was there a specific catalyst that said, Hey, I think you mentioned a year ago, something happened that made you realize this is something you'd like to do. Um, what sparked this? Yeah, really good question. So it wasn't until I went to college that I even learned what a nonprofit was. Right. Uh, so it wasn't even on my radar. I always knew I wanted to give back. I wanted to be a teacher of sorts. I wanted to help people, but I didn't have the word nonprofit until I went to college and was exposed to it. I remember I went to a study abroad program with somebody who's very affluent, uh, very, her parents are all networked into these judges, you know, so she's, you know, pre-law and really high up and went to Cornell law and, you know, all of these things, very affluent. And she said to me that she believed that anybody could create a nonprofit. And so we got in this big debate and this is when I was first exposed to it. And my question to her was, do you believe that you coming from an affluent background have just as much insight on how to help former foster youth as I do coming from the system? And her answer was, well, no, I mean, I guess you would have more insights. And then my follow-up question was, do you think you from an affluent background would be more able to get the funding to launch your nonprofit or would I coming from poverty in the foster care system with minimal support network? And so it became very clear in this debate that I got entrenched in that people who are less likely to solve the problem because they haven't been in the system are more likely to get funded and roll out this nonprofit. And that's when I really knew it was up to me to move forward with this. Um, through my master's in public administration, I created a business plan 
uh, for the original version of the nonprofit called Love, Lowering Obstacles via Education. So I knew I really wanted a formalized nonprofit. I knew I wanted to give back. Uh, and I gave everything. I did every school project on love and ended up with this really big business manual for it. Um, but at the end of the day, it was all based on the similar premise of what my our nonprofit is now. It's this concept of asset mapping, looking at what existing nonprofits are out there and how to get fostered better connected with the resources already available to them. It's also about helping young people set up profiles, figure out what makes them unique and reward them for taking action. It's also about strength-based learning, like we talked about. Again, not trying to help somebody overcome an obstacle of what they can't do, but figuring out what makes them unique and pouring into them on how to turn that into a fulfilling career. And then it's also about supporting existing other nonprofits and creating that community. So we talked about asset mapping, but this is even bigger is creating that community. So all of those things have always been on my heart. Um, so I'm just really, really excited to finally have the opportunity uh, through the fostered to really come back to uh, the asset mapping and the strength-based learning and creating this community. Uh, it's been such a joy ride. Wow, I, I can hear it in your voice. It's definitely, you were cut out for this. This is what you were made for. <laughs> You're definitely in your lane. True. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about what's next. Um, I mean, you've done so much with the Fostered already. So what is next for the Fostered? Sure, absolutely. Well, our greatest kind of next step right now is that we are looking at creating a mastermind, which is what I'm really excited about. So this is where I'm going to take 10 uh, former foster youth. And I don't care if they're 18 or 35. Uh, I want them in the program and I'm going to give them specific steps of grit and gratitude so they can live an incredible life. So that's really my big passion project right now is this foster care mastermind. Um, coming into 2020, January of 2020, I'll be speaking at the International Child Maltreatment Conference um, as a former foster youth and helping give my um, you know, insights on grit and gratitude so they can live an incredible life. And then publishing the book. I mean, that is really, those are the three main things we're looking at is getting high profile speaking engagements so we can really train administrators and resource parents on how to better serve young people. Um, and then thus create trainings and eBooks and all of that off of that, getting the book published and launching this foster care mastermind for our youth advisory board and really pouring into former foster youth giving them the biohacks and grit and gratitude to be successful. Wonderful. So let's, let's talk about this book a little bit further. Um, grit and Gratitude, which I cannot wait to read. I will be at your book signing. Uh, I'll be at many of your book signings, as a matter of fact. So you know, in this book, what would you say we have to look forward to? What are some of your, your main bullet points that you'd like people to, to look forward to in that? Sure. I, the main thing I want people to look forward to is these are things you can do. These are not esoteric, feel better about yourself, personal development, self-help, you know, type stuff. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I've read plenty of those type of books. This is about check the box. I'm going to give you a buffet of the top 10 things, daily practices that I've done to be, get where I am today. And so I've divided them up into grit and gratitude. There's five biohacks each. And under grit, for example, number one thing you can do is get rested and wake up early. Again, it's not as simple as just check the box. There's things you need to do to prepare, to get momentum, to keep the practice. What do you do when you wake up early? I go into all of that, but it's simple. So these are things that could be quote unquote simple, 
but take finesse. Uh, for instance, another one would be uh, listening to your guidance system. So my number one superpower from foster care is the fact that I skip the download. I don't have this mantra or scripts going in my head of my mother saying, don't cross the street until the light turns green. Don't, you know, always eat your vegetables. You can't, you know, do that. I have none of that. I didn't get it. One, my mother didn't raise me when she was around me. And then two, she didn't, she left when I was 11. So the beautiful, my superpowers, I can listen inside and know what is right and wrong. What is my truth? And what is the best thing I can be doing with my time right now? What should I commit to? What shouldn't I commit to? What is important? What isn't important? Should I go right? Should I go left? Yes or no? Click or not click? Those things Every day we make thousands of decisions that will drain us. And it's the little decisions that make up who we become. And so really listening to your internal guidance system is something I'm teaching you to cultivate as well. Um, and then as for gratitude, obviously I'm going to not only just teach you how to do a vision board, but I tell you how to create a vision mirror mantra and cultivating sound mantras like the sound of ah so there's some science-based approach that shows when you use the sound of ah the sound of creation and that is ah and you hold it the whole time until you lose your breath when you do that and you visualize what you want to become there's science behind how you activate the reticular activating system part of your brain known as RAS, R-A-S, and that's also known as a law of intention or power of attraction, whatever you want to call it, it is part of your brain. And there's a science behind using sound mantras to activate it to achieve your goals faster. And then I give you some best ways to, to self-soothe, uh, and I encourage you, of course, to get a mentor. So I didn't give you all 10, but those are some little snippets of, again, the buffet that I offer you. And then it's up to you as the reader to say which one of these are going to best help me reach my goals. And you can do each one of them or several ones at a time, but it's all about daily processes. These aren't one and done. These are things you do every day to cultivate your commitment and your progress towards your goal. That's incredible, Crystal. I, I love, love, love that you back this up by science as well, that it's not just uh, excitement and, and a hoo-ha, but there's actual meat to this book. So exactly. I- I'd love to know a little bit more just about, about you on a personal level here, because again, I, I've said it a million times on our, our, our call today, um, but you have such an incredible story. And one of the things that almost kind of brought me to tears in our lunch was you talking about finding forgiveness and finding peace. And that was one of the just pillars of your journey. So mm -hmm. can you just share and, and just kind of touch on you know, your stance on forgiveness and your stance on, on peace and how that's allowed you to um, get to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Forgiveness has been um, something that really has changed my life. I, I shared that experience of how I used empathy to forgive my mother um, and I want to kind of give some context to it and then give you some specific tips and how it's changed my life, but what you can do. So for me in particular, um, I'm not proud of this, but when I was young, about you know, 11 to 20, um, I would wake up every day and the first thing I would think would be creative ways that my parents could die. And when I went to sleep at night and I laid my head down, I'd smile and laugh as I think about creative ways that my parents could die. This brought me so much joy. Now, can you imagine how deep the trauma of your psyche has to be for that to bring you joy? You know, I did this for about 10 years before I realized that this wasn't hurting them. It wasn't even helping me. 
It was hurting me. I was wasting my precious time focused on something that was not being affected, that was not helping me. So I really realized when I went to college how much effort I was wasting on wishing my parents harm when really what I needed to do is wish myself success. I needed to pour into myself and I needed to know what was important to me and cultivate it every single day. So through that process, I kind of forgave my mother, but not really. You know, apparently my mother was still the ringleader of all my problems. Uh, but after that ringleader comment, then I was able to do a training again where we went through and we wrote a script. It was like you write a journal entry, but it was like you're writing a movie script from the antagonist perspective. So going back to that deepest trauma of your life where your life pivoted and it changed and you were hurt, go back and write it like a movie script from the other person's perspective. That changed everything. Once I realized that my mother leaving in the middle of the night had to have been scary. She had to have been nervous. I can imagine she was frantically throwing things around in boxes, worried about breaking the lease and how that was gonna affect her credit. You know, maybe she was worried about the neighbors seeing her. She was thinking how small she was going to have to live and change her name. She was going to have to run from child abandonment charges. Can you imagine? I mean, just in that moment, just saying it now, I get goosebumps how scary that must have been for my mother, right? Now, mm -hmm. when I look at it from her perspective and I wrote that script, I forgave her through empathy. I quit worrying about, did my mother love me or did she not? That used to be really important to me. I used to spend a lot of mental time trying to figure that out. And at the end, it doesn't matter if my mother loved me or if she didn't. The reality was it was hard for her to leave. And that allowed me to forgive her. Now, I wrote this letter you know, to her about all the forgiveness. I told you this part when we met because it was so funny. I, I call up my sister who's still her mini me and they're very close and you know, she's not allowed to speak my name and all these things. And so I said to my sister, I said, hey, I want to send this letter to mom. I forgave her. What's her address? And my sister kind of walked me back through the reasons why sending it to a bipolar schizophrenic person who's on drugs uh, may not get the response I'm looking for, right? So my mother is you know, a bipolar schizophrenic um, drug addict, and she is not rational. Her response to me is not rational. And so at first, I, I wanted to have that conversation. I wanted that closure. But after talking with my sister, I realized I didn't need to send the letter. I already got the closure. And that was really what started it for me. Um, I've also been able to, to uh, forgive my father, and I'm so grateful to have him in my life. He's one of the most important people in my life now. Um, he was a, a drug addict at the time when they found him, but now he's this incredible man of God, entrepreneur. He does third world prison ministry where he breaks bricks for Jesus in third world prisons. Uh, he built his own business. He's, he supports me unconditionally. I love him so much. But we had to have a big cry out session, like fist pumping, cries, sobbing into your pillow, screaming, let it all out. And he just held me. And listen, 20 years later, as I told him about how much it hurt me when he stood me up for my birthday party, after I had told everybody in the school he was dead, then he said he was coming. So then I had to go back and admit I'd lied, told everybody he was alive, and then he stood me up. And I, for, for almost 20 years, held that against him. So that's an example of once I forgave him, I woke up the next morning and I remember thinking something along the lines of, you know, he's not important. It doesn't matter. And, and I corrected myself. I said, that's not true. I forgave him. 
And he is important. And honestly, Renee, I never once have had that thought again. So true forgiveness is lasting. When you find it through empathy or through cathartic tears and you release that trauma and you forgive yourself and you forgive them, then you're allowed to move through that experience. You have to bless that to get through it and then it sets you free. And I might add to that, that that experience with my father is the only reason I believe that I was able to have a loving relationship with my husband. I was not having good relationships and that was because I had daddy issues. Uh, but through that now, I have this loving, incredible husband. We've been married almost three years and, and I didn't believe men like him exist. So through forgiving my mother and my father, I was able to unlock true love, forgiveness for myself and have a loving, lasting relationship with an incredible man that I'm, I am so blessed to have as my husband. Wow. Crystal, that, that just moves me so much because, again, so many people out there, and I know people that are listening to this right now, um, have experienced you know, long, long periods where they've been unable to forgive and, and they've had this blockage in achieving peace. And so, you know, for that listener, whether they were a, a foster youth or not, um, if you were just to give one tip or, or one bit of encouragement or advice for someone wanting to find forgiveness and begin that journey of forgiveness, what would you say to them? You know, I want to, I want to tell them to read grit and gratitude. No, I, <laughs> I, I would tell them um, it's, it's a tie, right? Um, I would say one is they need to secure a mentor somebody else who's going to help them through this journey, whether it's a counselor, whether it's somebody they watch from a distance and they emulate, whether it's a husband or a wife, secure somebody who can be your guide and help you process this. Um, it, it, you can't get through this alone. I'll give you biohacks so you can move through and get to the precipice, but you have to share, you have to speak it out loud to make it real. So getting that mentor, is really going to be key. Um, and then the second thing I would, I would offer to that is really listening to their internal guidance system. You know, we talked about what that means, but if you listen deep in your core, you know whether you're supposed to do something or not. And you know when you say something hurtful that it hurts you. And when you say something loving that it creates love in you. So if you can begin to change the way you talk about that person that you're trying to forgive, or you can change the what you do around that person or don't do or set up boundaries or don't set up boundaries, whatever it is you're going to do to be able to forgive that person, listen to yourself inside how you feel and follow your bliss. So find somebody who can guide you through it and be committed to feeling good and paying attention to how you feel at every moment around that topic of forgiveness in that person and stay in your bliss and follow and say things that are uplifting and create love in your heart and only speak your truth. And if it's an old story where you're talking about things they used to do and it feels bad inside, quit telling the story. Mm. Only focus on telling the stories that make you feel good. I absolutely love it. I, I can talk to you for hours and hours and hours and just sit back and listen and just, I mean, you're, you're bringing the word today. You, you have a message for us, Crystal, and I appreciate you being just so transparent and, and so real and so raw and so honest. And you've impacted me and you'll continue to impact me as, as well of our, as our guest. 
um, that are listening in. And so I'm, I, I want to give you a chance to help them get involved because people want to get involved. You're, you're doing something incredible. How can people jump on board with you and, and help you with your mission in, in the fostered? Absolutely. The number one way um, that you can get involved with me is absolutely through liking the Facebook page, Crystal J. Lindsay, and you'll see comma MBA. So Crystal Lindsay MBA, it'll pop right up. That's the quickest way to get in contact with me. Um, I'm also going to have some opportunities to purchase the book ahead of time. So if you want to be able to get um, the, the grit and gratitude book, then that will be something we'll do. And we'll actually give you a 50% off uh, if you are a listener to this podcast. Wonderful. And as far as um, the donations are concerned, I know a lot of people who may not be able to you know, immediately jump on board and, and commit to finding this or going here, going there. Um, do you accept any sort of donations at all? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you can go to thefostered.org and that will take you right to our website and there's a contact us form um, and we'll be able to, to support you through your giving. That would be wonderful. Wonderful. And so I'm just curious because a lot of people out there, they'll be more than willing to donate, you know, five, 10, 15 bucks. Um, but there's also a sense in us that says, hey, that's probably not going to, to go very far. So I'm just not going to donate. Um, how far do donations go with the fostered youth? Oh, 100%. So what it does is it allows us to be able to pour into our advisory board. Uh, we offer our youth advisory board of former foster youth uh, employment coaching. We redo their resumes. We re help them with their LinkedIn. We you know, help them with their career discovery. We, we go through mock interviewing. So we really help them get their professional stuff on point. That's really how we reward them for looking over our trainings. So that's where we really prioritize our funds is to go into support programs for our youth advisory board. So every single dollar that would be donated would go into a program to support those young people to be able to get their, um, their professional persona up, to get training so they can ace an interview so that they'll be able to step into who they are and not just work at you know Mickey D's or KFC. I mean, I worked at KFC too, so there's no, no shame in that. But how do you build from that? How do you know where you're going? How do you get a career? That's really where our hearts are at uh, in working with these young people on our advisory board. Wonderful. So no donation is too small. Absolutely. Yeah. Even just $5. And those fi that $5 is going to go towards some gift that we're going to give the young people. So 100%. Yeah. Even just $5 would be tremendous. Wonderful. Well, Crystal, I mean, I am just on fire right now. Every time I leave your presence and, and have conversations with you, I know our audience is feeling this way too. Um, but I am on fire. You are bringing so much just grit and gratitude <laughs> to, to anything you come across. So again, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today, for kicking us off with the first official episode of Service Theory. So again, thank you so much, Crystal. I'll be sure to leave your links on the Service Theory Instagram, which is Service Theory. All of your information will be there on how to get in touch. And of course, you guys can contact me directly as well. So thanks so much, Crystal. I appreciate you being here with us today. Oh, Renee, it's an absolute pleasure. Let's spread the good news that you do have control over your future. You can be able to live a life 
of, of fulfillment. And all you need to do is cultivate grit and gratitude. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Renee. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Crystal. Thank you. All right, guys, there you have it. Crystal just dropped so much knowledge and so much heart and passion on this phone call. If I were to narrow it down to my biggest takeaway after working with Crystal on this project, it would just be her conviction. This woman has more conviction around what she does and who she is and where she's going than the majority of people I have met in my entire life. On that note, my final question for you, our listener, is when's the last time that you felt convicted? When's the last time that you felt completely on fire from the inside out like Crystal is and had that confidence that you were living in alignment with your true life purpose? Months, years, and maybe you've never felt that. And maybe you're going through day to day and you're drifting and, and sure, things may look good on the surface. You've got a decent job that you don't hate, uh, but you know there's something missing and you know that you can be getting more out of life. You're just unclear as to how to go about finding what that piece is that's missing. And every day that goes by, you feel like you're getting further and further away and that you're wasting more and more time. You know, being stuck sucks. I've been there. You know, sometimes it can be even numbing. I get it. So let's get you unstuck and inspired by having a breakthrough session so you can begin living a life of purpose and start waking up on fire every day just like Crystal does. Please DM me on Instagram, Renee.TheInspired, or feel free to reach out to our Service Theory Instagram, which is Service Theory. We can set up a breakthrough session and help you start living your best life now. On that note, thanks again for tuning in to our first official episode of Service Theory. Until next time, guys, take care.